thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Welcome, Connect Church. Hey, let's thank our team for leading us out this morning. Hey, we are so grateful you are here. And welcome to what is the Super Bowl of Sundays for the local church. Because we've got good news for you today. You ready? Jesus is alive. He is alive and He is well, yeah. And we're so grateful that together we get to make much of Him today. Here's what we're convinced, you ready? That following Jesus is the best way to live this life and it's the only way to die. By following Jesus, who today we celebrate empty the grave and is alive, And as well, so grateful that you are here today, especially those of you who are visiting. Man, we're honored uh, that you would come and be a part. Now, uh, before I get into my message today, we got to settle a debate that's been going on in my house all week, okay? Uh, A deep theological debate, very important, and that is, what is the greatest Easter candy of all time, okay? And now listen, I know there's Peeps, I know there's Robin Eggs, all good things, but there's one Easter candy that is controversial, that either you love them or you hate them, but is the greatest candy of all time. You ready? Cadbury egg. Hey, l- listen, first of all, I, 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 you know, listen, I'm a little bit bigger than when I was you know, younger, of course, but these things are a whole lot smaller than I remember them being, right? Used to, they're as big as your head. Now I can barely see it. But anyway, we love Cadbury eggs in our house, man. We just have this debate. I love them. Aaron... She hates them, and she's in the room, so just help me out here. How many Cadbury egg lovers do we have in the house that love Jesus and are Christians? Good. I see your hands. Yes, God bless you. Now, now how many of you guys hate Cadbury egg security? If you would just leave. Anyway, just help them out. We can't be friends. I feel attacked. Um, now, listen, no matter your candy preference this morning, we can come together on this truth. You ready? That the grave is empty. And that Jesus is alive. He's alive. One of the favorite things I do with my kiddos is we love going to the, the various rivers in our community. We love going up towards Greenbrier. And we walk the river banks. And, uh, and what we do is we find stones. Uh, the Griffins, where are you guys at? This was the stone you gave me three years ago. It sits on my desk. We'll find stones. And, and we'll just take them and just throw those stones in the river. And we will do this. For hours on, especially with my son Bennett, who's about four years old. We could do it from sun up to sun down, and we just love throwing stones in the river. You know, the truth is, is that uh, the Bible also loves stones, and there are many central stories and, and accounts and biblical accounts where stones are in the central part of the very teacher. Let me tell you a few of those. In Genesis 28, 18, we find that Jacob, he would celebrate the Lord coming to him in a dream and, and this staircase that goes to heaven by stacking some stones to commemorate the Lord. We find elsewhere in, in Scripture in Joshua 3 and 4 that the people of God would gather 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River and they would stack those stones in celebration of the time that God stopped the flow of that river so that the people of God could walk across on dry land. I'm reminded in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13, that God would take two stone tablets and there inscribe 
the Ten Commandments. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12, we find an Ebenezer, which means a stone of help that was dedicated to the Lord. Perhaps my favorite of all stones is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it was a stone that would find its way in the sling of a young David. And God would take that stone and use it to slay a giant. But hey, listen, it's not just in the Old Testament we have conversations of stones. In the New Testament, we're reminded in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, that Jesus is the stone the builders rejected and who has become our cornerstone. If you're building anything in that day, the cornerstone was the most important stone in all the building process. Speaking of building, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we are living stones building a spiritual house of the Lord. A lot in Scripture about stones. But there's one stone, one stone that has garnered, that has collected both the attention and the affection of believers now for centuries. One stone not even owned by Jesus, a stone he borrowed just for a few days. A stone that made its first appearance in Scripture on Good Friday when it was rolled in front of the grave that is occupied by our King. You know, I got to thinking about this whole Easter story and all that took place in Holy Week. I was reminded last week as we celebrated the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, where he'd come off the Mount of Olives and, and down the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem, marking Holy Week. Yeah, I remember an incident that took place there. Watch this in Luke chapter 19, verse 39. The Bible says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what they were saying, hey, Jesus, listen, let's stop all this royal treatment here. Let's stop this fanfare. Hey, Jesus, tell them to be quiet, put the palm branches down, pick up their coats, and put a stop to this nonsense. Look at Jesus' reply, I tell you. If they keep quiet, watch this, the rocks, the rocks will cry out. If they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. I got to thinking this past week, getting ready for Easter. If rocks can cry out in Luke chapter 19, then surely the gravestone of Jesus can preach. And if that stone could preach, what would it tell us? What would it share with us today? I can imagine that old gravestone would tell the tale of a man who was, who was beaten, who was tortured, who was crucified to death. And no controversial. I bet you that stone would tell us there was, there was something different about that man named Jesus. Something different about him. In fact, we see uh, this, verse, this, uh, this gravestone of Jesus in Mark chapter 15, verse 46. And it says this in Joseph, uh, meaning Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee turned follower of Jesus. Uh, he bought a linen shroud. And watch this, and taking him down. Uh, let me provide some context here. Jesus has been crucified. A spear has been thrust into his side. Blood and water has flowed. Jesus is dead. And now one of his followers, one who's behind the scenes quite a bit, is taking him down from the cross. The Bible says he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. 
And he rolled a, a stone against the entrance, the Bible says, of that tomb. I love what one author said. He said this, that no hand but the hand of love ever touched the dead body of Jesus. Well, who is this Joseph of Arimathea? And who was with him? Well, we know that Joseph was a Pharisee, but with him was another Pharisee turned follower of Jesus by the name of Nicodemus. And with them, there was Mary Magdalene. And there was another Mary who was the mom of James the Younger there. And what's incredible about this story is that in verse 47, listen, they all saw what took place, and they saw where they laid the body of Jesus. I want you to think of this thought this morning. The only people standing by the stone grave that day, at sunset, on that Good Friday, were two Pharisees turned followers who up until now had been following Jesus quietly behind the scenes, and two women. So much for the adoring crowd just days earlier. The popular, upfront disciples um, who would who proudly and loudly would proclaim that they would die for Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 31, are now in hiding. But these four stand there with a stone that sealed the grave of Jesus. The Bible goes on and teaches us in, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, that Joseph of Arimathea, he gave Jesus, and I quote the word of God, his own new tomb. A, a tomb that was sealed with a cut, disc-shaped stone that rolled into a slot that was cut into the rock. You see, the slot itself was on an incline, so it was easy to push that large stone into place, but terribly difficult to remove the stone once it was in place. In fact, from historical accounts, it would take several very strong men with a pretty good struggle to get that stone out of its place. It explains why in Mark chapter 16, verse 3, the women would ask as they were headed towards the tomb, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Man, I wish I was there that day when they started talking. And who would roll the stone away? I'd go, hey ladies, I know somebody strong enough, but we're not there yet and they weren't either. So here we go. We understand this of Jesus. Jesus being buried in a borrowed tomb of a wealthy man, both fulfills and explains the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, some 700 years earlier, where it is written, meaning Jesus, his grave was assigned with the wicked and with the rich in his death. This was important. Hear me, the Romans cared less, could care less about the crucified and killed body of Jesus, his corpse. The body was not sacred to the Romans. They would take a crucified criminal off the cross and they would throw him maybe in a, a large mass grave that were, where they would allow the birds of prey from the sky to just come into feast. In other instances, they would take a crucified criminal just outside the city gates of Jerusalem into a valley called Gehenna, and there they would toss his body. And listen, that valley of Gehenna was where all discarded things from Jerusalem went. There was perpetual fire that just burned all the discarded things from Jerusalem. And is that where he put his body? In fact, Jesus would use the valley of Gehenna as one of his object lessons when he taught about the place called hell. 
Would that be where Jesus' body would wind up? What of the body of Jesus? Well, here's what we know. We know this, that God wasn't done with Jesus and that God would take the tragedy of the cross on Friday night and turn it into a triumph over the grave on Sunday morning. God was not done with the body of Jesus. So Jesus' body was not simply discarded. It was buried. God orchestrated Joseph's grave, his tomb, to hold his son. And so the Bible tells us that now a stone seals the grave where Jesus lays. You know, I bet that stone could preach. And I bet we'd hear from that stone maybe the reaction of that Jewish establishment, those religious leaders that day, to the very sight of the stone. You see, they had finally assassinated that radical religious leader known as Jesus. And it seems as if they were relieved. I wonder if that stone would tell us of Roman soldiers appointed to guard the grave who were annoyed that they would have to stand watch at the grave of a crucified criminal that they had killed. I wonder if that stone will tell of the big-name disciples who were noticeably absent and in hiding, nowhere to be found. But here's what not only the truth of God's Word testifies to, but here is what history teaches us, that someone rolled that stone away. That that stone was no longer there. And so the question of Easter is this, and who rolled the stone away? Who moved the stone? Well, it it wasn't the women because they'd already taught us in this passage that they couldn't. The disciples had to be around the stone to move it and they weren't. It wasn't the soldiers who would lose their life if they lost the body and so they wouldn't. It wasn't the Jewish religious leaders because they needed him dead so they hadn't. Who was it that moved the stone? In your Bibles in Luke chapter 24, the Bible tells us just who did. It says this, but on the first day of the week, in verse 1, very early in the morning, that the the women had taken the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. When they got there, they found that this stone had been rolled away, and when they went inside, the Bible tells us the body of Jesus wasn't there. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, they bowed their faces to the ground. And those two men looked at them and said, Why is it that you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And we find from Scripture that it was God who had rolled that old stone away from his son's tomb, not so that Jesus could get out, so that you and I in this world could look in and see that Jesus is alive and well. And so if that stone could preach, what would its message be this morning? I think its message would be nothing more than the words, him recounting the words that he heard that day Jesus, he is not here. He has risen. He is alive. 
And because God raised Jesus from the grave and that, and that stone rolled away, the Jewish establishment, that radical religious leader they had assassinated, was proven to be their resurrection in life. To the Romans who were convinced they crucified and killed a criminal, God revealed to them their king crowned with resurrection, a king far greater and more powerful than even their Caesar. To the hiding, fear-filled followers of Jesus, the stone rolled away, allowed them to see an empty tomb that filled them with great faith. I got to thinking, what if that stone grave could preach today? I believe he would tell us this. Jesus came alive in me. Now let Jesus come alive in you. Jesus came alive in me. Let him come alive in you. About three and a half years ago, getting close to four years ago, all that existed of Connect Church was a, a launch team. Would we even be here two years from now? Would God bless this church that we're planning here in our hometown? And God had moved in the hearts of Jimbo and Mandy and Mike and Jessica, not only for this incredible resort that's around us, but to open this space to allow our handful of people to come and to launch Connect Church here. Guys, I'm going to tell you, in the life of our little and young church, it was a big deal and a big move of God. I'll never forget the Sunday morning sitting in my basement preparing, uh, finishing touches on my message, and how am I going to share with this handful of people that this space we'd prayed for for years was given to us to be able to launch our church in. Just so excited. But I also remember that Sunday as a Sunday where the devil threw a stone at our family. And namely, he came after this little princess right here. You see, this is my Sadie bug. She, she's about, goodness, she's five years old. She's about two or three at the time. And I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I love my little girl. I'm downstairs in the basement. And I'm just working away, excited to share how God had moved. When all of a sudden I heard a noise from upstairs that stopped me in my tracks. I pushed away from my desk. And I began to run upstairs because something just terrible sounded. But guys, listen, I know it's hard to believe. I don't run for anything. But on that Sunday, I knew something bad had happened. I ran upstairs. And as I opened the door, my, my precious wife let out a scream. And in her hands was my little Sadie. She was unconscious. She was lifeless. Her lips were turning blue. And she wasn't breathing. I said, Aaron, what, what happened? And as she handed me Sadie, Aaron said she'd fallen backwards off a stool, a high stool. She'd hit her head. She wasn't conscious and she wasn't breathing. And so I took Sadie in my, in my arms and I knelt down on the kitchen floor. Her chest wasn't rising or falling. I could not find a heartbeat. And in that moment, I was the most terrified I had ever been. As sick as I had ever been. 
as I laid her on the floor and I got my hands ready on her chest to start CPR. I remember laying over top of her and, and while I was fixing to start the compressions, I remember in my soul and in my spirit just begging God and crying out to God, God, would you just, would you just let her breathe again? God, would you let my little girl, would you just let her breathe again? If she could just breathe, everything's going to be okay. God, would you just, would you let her breathe? And I started compressions on her little chest. and I was terrified because I knew she might not breathe again. And compression after compression, and it seemed like an eternity. I don't even remember how long or how many compressions, but it was quite a few in. Just begging him to please let her breathe again so everything could be okay. I'll never forget my little girl going, <gasps> and she took a breath. And I stopped and I watched her little chest go up and down and expand again. And I remember at that moment, I picked her up and I just held her as close as I could. I remember thinking, she's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And guess what? It was. Everything was okay. And on today, I think of Jesus laying lifeless in a tomb, sealed by a stone because of my fall and my sin. That the very wrath of God against my sin crushed Jesus on the cross. Upon him was all of my brokenness, all of my mess, all of my rebellion. And because of it, he laid lifeless. But the wonder of a morning like this that we celebrate is that three days later, God breathed life back into His Son and Jesus is alive so I can stand. Sins now forgiven. His Spirit alive in us. Eternity ours to behold. And heaven as my home. Knowing this, that because Jesus is alive, Believer, hear me. Everything is, is okay. And everything's going to be okay. We still have a question this morning to answer. Is God still in the business of rolling stones away? Maybe you're here today and, and you're lost. You're not in Christ. And between you and Him, there is a stone that has been rolled into place of unbelief. You're just not there yet where you're willing to place your heart and life in Jesus. And there it is, that stone of unbelief. Can God really move that stone away? The answer to that scripture in our gathering time today 
is yes, God can roll the stone of unbelief away today. Why not place your faith and your trust in Him? Why not give Him your heart and in your life and allow Him to roll that stone away and to bring you from a place spiritually where you were once dead and now you are alive in Jesus Christ? He could do that for you today. He did it for me. He can take all your brokenness and all your mess just like he did mine. All of your sin. And through faith, he can save you today. Why not let God move that stone of unbelief away? Maybe you're a believer here today. Say, I know that God can move a stone of unbelief, but, but what about those stones in my life that seem to always come between me and Jesus? Can Jesus really roll those stones away? Can he really roll the stones of sin and shame and guilt away? Stones of unforgiveness and, and, and bitterness and hurt and pain? Can he roll the stones away of, a, of brokenness and broken hearts and, and broken relationships and, and broken promises and broken dreams and, and broken lives? Can he move and roll those stones away? Can he really roll the stone of addiction away? Of apathy? Of arrogance? Can God really move those stones away out of my life? Believer, the answer is yet yes, but the challenge is this. You and I have got to stop chasing after stones that Jesus has rolled away in our lives. The biggest problem I have is I ask him and his power and his help to roll a stone away. And before long, you know what I'm doing? I'm running after it again. I'm chasing those stones again. Believers, stop chasing stones that Jesus has rolled away. And last thing on this Easter, hey, believer, here's my heartbeat. That today, this year and every year, that Easter becomes one of the greatest sending moments of our year. Where we're reminded that far too often we are content with rocks crying out and stones preaching the good news. And maybe today there's some room for some holy discontentment. Where I'm not going to let a rock cry out. I'm not going to let a stone preach. Because I've got good news to share to a world whose lives are filled with bad news. And that is that Jesus is alive. The majority of people that we know will never buy a plane ticket and fly over to the city of Jerusalem to a garden tomb to look in just to make sure Jesus isn't there. But you know what? They will know that tomb is empty by looking into the way that you live and you labor and you love in Jesus Christ. Don't let a rock cry out. Don't even let an old stone preach. You share the good news of the cross and the empty grave of Jesus Christ. Yes, 
God is still in the business of rolling stones away. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.